Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. I wanted to open up with this quote. It's a little bit lengthy. It says, the, noon, the noonday devil of the Christian life is a temptation to lose the inner self while preserving the shell of edifying behavior. Suddenly, I discover that I am ministering to AIDS victims to enhance my resume. I find I renounce ice cream for Lent to lose five excess pounds. I drop hints about the absolute priority of meditation and contemplation to create the impression that I am a man of prayer. At some unremembered moment, I have lost the connection between internal purity of heart and external works of piety. In the most humiliating sense of the world, word, I have become a legalist. I have fallen victim to what T.S. Eliot calls the greatest sin, to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Beware of the scribes, Jesus says. These are the men who devour the property of widows and for show offer long prayers. Jesus did not have a naive outlook on prayer. He knew it could be counterfeited by spiritual narcissism, hypocrisy, wordiness, and sensationalism. The words of an author, the words of an alcoholic, the words of a priest. These are the words of Brennan Manning in the Ragamuffin Gospel. And I wanted us to think about that because we're talking about something today that I think Jesus is very concerned about. Very concerned about when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to us uh, who are religious. Jesus starts to talk about our motives. He starts to talk about what's going on internally in our life. And the passage that we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 6. And this passage is wedged right in the middle of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And Jesus is teaching, and he's painting this picture. But he says these words. In Luke 6, 43, Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So last week we started this series on the Gospel of Luke, looking at Luke through Lent. And we talked about how you know, Luke is, is uh, a story that really resonates with us. It was written by a doctor. It was written by... Uh, it's the only gospel that's written by a non-Jewish person. Luke has a very kind of Western-thinking mind. We know that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and its sequel, the Book of Acts. And we're kind of looking at some of the characteristics of Luke as he writes to us. But what we're doing is we're following the story of Jesus to the cross as we prepare for Easter. And we come across this passage in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus starts talking about something internally in the life of people. What we find is that Jesus is concerned about the heart. Jesus is concerned 
about the heart. Joel Green in his commentary says, according to the finale of the sermon, Jesus is concerned with the nature of a person, the heart. But such a concern does not lead to what today we might call psychological evaluation. In Luke's pre-Freudian world, a person's inside is accessible not through his or her psychology as we see today, but through his or her social interactions. People like trees are known through what they produce. He says, as Jesus starts to talk about this idea of what's going on inside of us, he says it's often revealed in how we interact with people around us. There's this deep connection between what's going on inside of us and what we produce. Jesus speaks of authenticity here. Authenticity. I think authenticity is something that is much needed in our world today, uh, especially uh, in a culture that is so image-driven. And I, I love the image of Phoenix. I love being a Phoenician. I love being outside. I love trying to be in shape. Um, I love hiking. I love out, everything about our city. I love the culture of our city. Uh, but one of the things that we struggle with as a city is authenticity. Are we really authentic people? We have a lot of image management that goes on. We're trained to do that. Um, and the same is true for us spiritually. We, we're trained to manage our image spiritually. And this is where Jesus says there's a great danger to this. He says there, there's something about authenticity that is much needed. Jesus invites us to this authentic way of living. And he uses this passage of uh, the tree and its fruit to talk about it, but we also find Jesus throughout his teachings talking about what's going on internally. There's this constant internal and external language. In Matthew 23, 27, uh, he famously calls out the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Wickedness. Ouch. This is like strong words coming from Jesus, right? You're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, everything looks good. On the inside, everything is dead. It's a great warning for us when we're not being authentic. This week, uh, I have an aunt that lives in Florida named Eileen. I think we all have an aunt in Florida that's named Eileen, right? Uh, she, she posts on Facebook, and I, I saw this article that uh, she posted, and it, it was fascinating to me. Uh, it, it was about this huge sinkhole that was in Florida. Maybe you saw this. Not only was there a sinkhole in Florida, but all of these alligators were like flocking to the sinkhole. There were like hundreds of alligators flocking to this massive sinkhole that just opened up. I'm like, this is like surely terrifying for somebody, right? This is like a snakes on planes kind of scenario. Like sinkhole with alligators. The only thing worse than having a sinkhole is if you're attacked by alligators in the sinkhole. But I was reading about it. And sink, like sinkholes are like, they're actually like a really big deal in Florida. Like we kind of get those here, but like uh, in Florida, they're like different parts of the land in Florida are just dropping, they're just sinking. It's wild. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a thing. This is like a natural disaster. And uh, like entire like streets get leveled, uh, property gets leveled, and it just disappears. And as I was reading that, I read this, there was another article because I started to get interested in sinkholes for some reason. Um, but it was talking about how, like, I, there there's, is, is a danger of, of sinkholes in Florida. It's a real thing. Scientists say that sinkholes occur when the underground stream 
streams drain away during seasons of drought, causing the ground at the surface to lose its support. Suddenly everything caves in, and it's frightening for people, leaving them with the suspicion that not even the earth beneath their feet is trustworthy. So I started to kind of think through that silly post of alligators attacking the sinkhole. Um, I thought, there's, there's something there. We, 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 assume, we assume our surface, the ground, is safe. Uh, the sinkholes prove that what's going on below the surface can be really dangerous. The bottom falls out of the ground, and then alligators attack. Something that happens to our soul is similar to that, right? When we're, we're not living authentic lives, I think this is why Jesus is so concerned about what's going on internally. When we're not ordering our internal world around Jesus, when we're not being authentic, at some point, it caves in. It collapses. It's like our, our, our soul just, there's a sinkhole that just crashes in. And we see that. Uh, we've seen it in people. We've felt it. Some of us feel like we're on the verge of that very experience where it just feels like we're about to cave in. And Jesus starts to talk about this internal culture of your heart and your soul and authenticity and the danger of living unauthentic lives. This has played out in many different ways. I think it has to deal with our motives and how we uh, behave. Uh, our, our sons, Micah and Ezra, are uh, starting to get to the point where they like to wrestle. And uh, Ezra just loves Micah, follows him everywhere. Um, Micah gets annoyed with him. Sometimes he bops him. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit more uh, physical violence between the two in our house. Um, it's kind of fun at times. And then other times, it's like you have to step in to break him up. Uh, but every now and then, uh, Micah will do something to Ezra and... and uh, Ezra will be annoying him, and so like Micah probably feels like he deserves it. Um, but we try to get Micah to apologize to Ezra, and Micah is not sorry, <laughs> but he says he is, and like we can hear it in the tone of voice. So he'll just say sorry, like you, you've heard like the you know a seven-year-old boy, six-year-old, seven-year-old boy. He's gonna be seven. That's why I said I know how old my kid is. Um, he says sorry, and we know we know he's not authentic. We know he's just saying that, but what's lying behind the surface is actually like anger and bitterness. And so like he'll say it, and Marcy's like, you're not sorry. You need to say it like you mean it. And we're trying to figure out like, how do we make him just mean it, not just say it, but like actually be sorry? Because there's no authenticity to it. I think that happens in our lives. What's interesting now is that it's rubbing off on Ezra. So Ezra will do something wrong. He knows he's in trouble and just yells, sorry, not even knowing what he's meaning. And it's almost like he's blaming me or something when he yells it. Uh, authenticity, though, our motives, why we do things, uh, when, we're, when our, our actions are not aligned with our motives, there's a danger, there's something below the surface that isn't right. And Jesus is speaking into this, where he starts talking about a tree and its fruit. He talks about authenticity, he talks about the source of all good things. He talks about the source. I have a, a lemon tree in my backyard that occasionally makes appearances in my sermons. Uh, the lemon tree is quite, uh, it, it's, it's, we, we have more lemons than we know what to do with. Uh, there, it, every, every season, sometimes a couple times a season, it just dumps lemons all over our backyard. It was cool for about a month. And um, we, would, we would make lemonade, we would make uh, lemon, lemon pie, lemon bars, 
lemon tacos. We made lemon everything. <laughs> and uh, it's to the point where it's like, I'm just like sick of lemons. I, we had uh, a landscaper come and uh, work, uh, cut some of the trees down in our front yard, and I was like haggling with him, trying to get a good price. I actually paid him in lemons one year. I'm not even joking. I gave him 200 lemons to cut my tree. Um, and it didn't even like make a dent in our lemon tree. And uh, we just have so many lemons, and people are like, when life gives you lemons, you, I'm like, no more lemonade, <laughs> no, we are done. Um, what I really want is an orange tree. I really want an orange tree. Um, I love oranges, making fresh orange juice. Uh, to me, an orange tree would be much more valuable than a lemon tree. Sorry for you lemon fans. Uh, I just, that's what I think. So I love oranges. Uh, What's interesting about this tree, though, is that it's, it's a cocktail tree. Someone had actually engrafted uh, different fruits, grapefruit, and oranges into this tree with a shoot of an orange tree branch. I'm not exactly sure how that works. I'm not a farmer. Um, but it's a cocktail tree. It's supposed to produce lemons, oranges, and grapefruits. We've lived there for three and a half years. I've seen maybe three oranges, and they all tasted terrible. Um, <laughs> If we want oranges, the lemon tree is not going to produce it. A tree is known by its fruit. It's a lemon tree. If I want oranges, I'll have to actually get an orange tree, right? I'd have to go in, take the lemon tree out, replace it with an orange tree, unless you have other solutions that I don't know about. Um, but a tree is known by its fruit. The source of the lemons is that its roots, its DNA, it's, it's a lemon tree. It's not an orange tree. And Jesus talks about a tree and its fruit. That a good tree is known uh, by the internal source of goodness. Bad trees producing bad fruit. The internal source of evil. There are certain sources of life inside of us that produce fruit, both good and bad. And wonder what is the source of our inappropriate behavior? What is the source of the things that corrupt our soul? What is the source of uh, where we get our life? This is the kind of thing, if we want to produce good fruit, that Jesus has to work inside of us to do. This season of Lent is about emptying ourselves. We empty ourselves of all of the things that we try to fill our life with that are outside of God. And we create space for God to come in and to fill our hearts with his life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The heart, the source of good and evil. Love what N.T. Wright says about this being the source. He says, The point of it all, in an English accent, the point of it all, of God's call to every individual, is in fact to produce truly human beings. That's the thrust of the riddle about the trees and the fruit. Moral reformation, which leaves the heart untouched, is about as useless as tying bunches of grapes onto a briar bush. Jesus is inviting his hearers to a way of life which is so completely new that it will change, it will need a change of heart, a change deep down in personality, a change in identity. There are many alternatives to Jesus' invitation on the market today, just as there were in his time but they don't touch the real human problem. We must allow Jesus to deal with our hearts. 
our source of corruption, what produces the good, the bad. If we're a lemon tree, not just adding in an orange shoot is going to make us an orange tree. We need to allow God to do work in us. The source, and then finally the fruit. Producing good fruit is important, and I would say essential to God's mission on earth. Producing fruit is a byproduct of Christ being the source. When Christ is inside of us, when he's dealt with us internally, we produce good fruit. And I would say that uh, we're called to produce good fruit. If you read throughout the narrative of Scripture, if you read through the Genesis story, every single thing that we do, every contribution we make, every relationship that we have uh, is the opportunity to produce good fruit, to flourish. And I think it's essential for our mission as followers of Jesus. Working in this world, trying to join God in the restoration of things that have been broken. Joining God and bringing about healing for the hurting. All the ways that we join God, we produce good fruit. There's an interesting passage in the next chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 7. And John the Baptist is, uh, makes an appearance. And John the Baptist is having this discussion. And he's prepared the way for the Messiah. And he has this moment where he's like, he really wants to know, is it Jesus? And he, he goes to his disciples. And he, John goes to the disciples and told him about all the things that Jesus is doing. This is in verse 18 of chapter 7. And calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. He replied to the messengers, Go back to John and report what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. When they come to Jesus and they say, Are you the one that we are waiting for? Are you the one who is to come, his response is, look around. Jesus says, look at the fruit that's being produced. He doesn't come with uh, some sort of theological statement, doesn't try to argue with him. He just says, look at the life. Look at the miracles. What do you think? Producing good fruit is absolutely essential. It's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, and it creates a Christian witness in this world, a church that produces good fruit, that the community would say, God is with them. There's something going on here with these people. We see miraculous things happening. We see the kingdom coming here and now. Last night, we had a movie at the park, um, which is a very uh, simple thing to be a part of, Desert Ridge Community Association does it. It's here in the community. Um, they asked us to bring water and uh, showed up, brought, I think, something like 400 water bottles and just started passing them out to people. Good thing because it was stinking hot. And uh, they set this massive screen up on the lawn. 300 people came. And uh, as the night was unfolding, uh, they, had, uh, they had like a hot dog uh, stand um, that was there. 
And uh, then they were also passing out free snow cones and free popcorn. And uh, the hot dogs were like $3 a piece, and then the snow cones were free, and the popcorn was free. And so there was like a 30, 45 minute line for the free stuff, and nobody was in line for the popcorn, or for the hot dogs. And uh, of course, my children wanted popcorn. And uh, I was like, this line for the hot dogs is short, but they really want a popcorn. So I stood in line for about 45 minutes, I think. I watched the whole movie from the line. Uh, and uh, you know, I did that for the kids. Um, and that was fine. But what was interesting is standing in line with people and having conversations. It's like Disneyland. Like There's nothing else to do, so you just have awkward conversations with the people around you. Um, and uh, there was a couple behind me. Uh, who were talking, and they said, oh, I had my Desert City shirt on. They said, oh, you're with the church, yeah. You guys help with this, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we were at the Trunk or Treat thing this fall, fun. And they said, uh, yeah, we know all about your church because of David. I was like, David? And they're like, yeah, you know David from your church. And I was like, we have like three Davids, and they're all great. And, and uh, which one do you mean? They're like, David with the lab, the, the black lab. And I was like, oh, and I, I remembered it was David Sywick. Um, some of you guys remember the Sywick family. They're here with us. First two years, great family. Um, they had a lab that they would take to the park, and they would just hang out with neighbors. Um, and this couple was like, oh, we, we miss David. Like, we haven't seen him in a while. What's going on? I was like, well, he moved to New York about a year ago. And they're like, oh, that's what happened. Oh, yeah, we were wondering what happened. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, he was great. We, our dogs go along so well. I, just, I would look forward to Saturday mornings. We'd come out here, and we'd see it. We'd see David in their, their, chocolate, or their black lab. And, and hang out, and, and uh, we know all about you guys. And it was kind of interesting to hear this person that I had never met before um, that knew who we were because David Sywick would show up at the park, just hang out, talk with this person, encounter him, hear about what's going on in his life. It left an impression on him. When I think about our faithful witness in the community, when I think about all of our conversations as it's the opportunity to produce good fruit, it's amazing what happens when you're just available for God to use you? When the goodness of God flows out of you to others, it starts conversations. Sometimes it's taking a Saturday morning and, and helping fight human trafficking. Sometimes it's going to the park with your dog. We have these encounters with people uh, that are a witness to the love that is inside of us. The God who calls us, the God who restores us. And it flows out of us naturally. Some of you know David. It, flew out of, it just flowed out of him naturally, uh, producing good fruit in abundance. This passage, we'll know a tree by its fruit, uh, has to do with what's going on internally, our motives. And from a good heart flows good fruit. So today, Van's going to come back up. A couple questions to think about when it comes to your life, when it comes to your walk with God. The invitation of Christianity has always been this. A new heart. We have different language to describe it. The source of our life. A new heart that is the heart of God. An invitation to invite God to inhabit our heart. An invitation to have a heart that's more like Jesus. Maybe today this whole Jesus thing's new to you. Um, maybe there's no relationship with you and with God. 
And we want to invite you today to give your heart to God. We want to invite you to say, Lord, inhabit my heart. Be the source of truth and goodness that it may flow out of me. And we believe that this has eternal implications. Maybe today uh, you have a heart that's been hardened. You have a heart that's distant. You have a heart that's been corrupted. And you need to allow God to just come in and work on it, to renew it, to refresh it, to restore it. And Ezekiel I'll close with this verse. This old prophet in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26, says this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The invitation today is to allow God to do that in your life. As we close with this last song, uh, we celebrate communion. And this is something that we do each week. And each week we, uh, we come together, we gather, we share in community, we worship God, we open the scripture, we receive a word from God. And then in this moment, we're reminded of what God has done in this world. When we center our lives around who Christ is, what he's done, we do this symbolically and act to remember. We come to communion, we come to the table. And we take bread that represents the body of God, the body of Christ that was present here on earth. We believe that this body was broken open on the cross. And through the brokenness of God, our brokenness is put back together. And then we take juice, which represents the blood, the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. We believe that as we... Uh, we do this in remembrance of this act, that the blood of Christ washes away our sin and it cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And we take this bread and we take this cup and we declare what God has done. Remember what he's done for us. But then we also remember that we are now the body of Christ. We come into this family, into this community that's on mission, that we're called to live this out. For what God has done in our life, we're now invited to join his work in helping others. So today we come, we examine ourselves, we come to the table, we reflect on our heart, we proclaim what God has done, and then we join the story. Let me pray for us, and we'll spend some time in prayer and communion. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these people that you would gather us around today, that you'd speak to us through this ancient text that's thousands of years old, and we'd see the story that we understand, a story about a tree and its fruit, a reminder that uh, you're concerned about what's going on internally. And in this culture, Lord, that is... Everything teaches us to manage our image. We're reminded that there's a danger to that, especially when it comes to this spiritual life. Lord, we want to produce good fruit. We want to be a faithful witness. But we would ask that you would be the source of our life. That you replace 
a heart of stone, that you would give us a new heart. It's full of your love. It's full of your kingdom. So Lord, today as we come to the table, we ask that you would work in us. For those who feel that they're about to cave in, Lord, you create, create stability. You'd be a firm foundation. We love you so much. In your sons, let me pray. Amen.